The language you use today is the evolved language of thousands of years of human history. Language is what enables rockets to space, war and peace, it helps medical operations, it provides education, and it also gives you history podcasts. Language, it shapes you and me. It is an ancient form that still lives amongst us. Some of us use spoken language, written, gestures, or sign language. There's also fictional language, such as Klingon for Star Trek, as well as computer language that is used for programming. And there is music and the language of maths. In this podcast, I want to understand what language is, its history, how it shapes us, our thinking. Ultimately, I want to learn the language of language. Biologically speaking, no pun intended there, spoken language relies on humans' physical ability to produce a sound, which is a longitudinal wave propagated through the air at a frequency capable of vibrating in the eardrum. This ability depends on the physiology of the human speech organs. These organs consist of the lungs, the voice box, and the upper vocal tract, the throat, the mouth, and the nose. By controlling the various parts of speech, the airstream can be manipulated to produce different speech sounds. Hence, speech and language. The communication systems used by other animals, such as bees or apes, are considered closed systems of languages that consist of a finite, usually extremely limited number of ideas that can be expressed. By contrast, human language is open-ended and productive, meaning that it allows humans to produce a vast range of utterances from a finite set of elements and to create novel words and sentences. This is possible because human language is based on a dual code in which the finite number of elements which are ultimately meaningless in themselves, i.e. sounds, letters or gestures, can be combined to form an infinite number of larger units, meaning things like words for sentences. Most importantly, human language is unusual in being able to refer to abstract concepts and to imagined or hypothetical events as well as events that took place in the past or that may happen in the future. This ability to refer to events that are not the same time or place as the speech event is called displacement. And while some animal communication systems can use displacement, the degree to which it is used in human language systems is unique. Because language emerged in the early prehistory of humans, before the existence of any written records, its early development has left no historical traces, and it is believed that there are no comparable processes that can be observed today. One could look at primates for hints, and some do, but really what we may have sounded like back then isn't exactly going to be the same. What is also relatively certain is that language is set to evolve not over lengthy time periods, but over relatively brief time periods. I would argue that within our own lifetimes, we will see the language that we are closest to, English in this case, evolve. This conversion process has been accelerated 
with the advent of mass mobile communications using the internet, where multiple languages and cultures collide regularly, naturally creating yet new unfamiliar terms. Estimates of the number of human languages in the world varies between 5,000 and 7,000. However, any precise estimate depends on the arbitrary distinction between languages and dialect. The easiest way to think about the differences between accents and dialects is to first understand that accents are only a part of what makes up a dialect. An accent is simply how one pronounces words, a style of pronunciation. A dialect includes not just the pronunciation, but also one's general vocabulary and grammar. There are three types of human language forms, natural, formal, and constructed. Natural language, or ordinary language, is any language that has evolved naturally in humans through the use and repetition without conscious planning or premeditation. Natural languages can take different forms, such as speech or signing, a formal language consists of words whose letters are taken from an alphabet and are well formed according to a specific set of rules. A constructed language is where the language was created rather than it evolving. Language is processed in many distinct locations of the human brain. Humans acquire language through social interaction in early childhood, and children speak fluently by around three years old. The use of language is deeply entrenched in human culture. Languages evolve and diversify over time, and the history of their evolution can be reconstructed by comparing modern languages to determine which traits their ancestral languages must have had for the later developmental stages to occur. A group of languages that descend from a common ancestor is known as a language family. In contrast, a language that has been demonstrated not to have any living or non-living relationship with another language is called a language isolate. There are also many unclassified languages whose relationships have not been established and scrupulous languages may have not existed at all. Academic consensus holds that between 50% and 90% of languages spoken at the beginning of the 21st century will have become extinct by the year 2100. These ancestral or parental languages are called the proto-language of that family. For example, Proto-Indo-European. How about I tell you the number of language families that we have in the world today that we know of? At the top, with 1,542 known languages, that's about 21% of the world's known languages is the Niger-Congo language family. It's in sub-Saharan Africa and is the third largest language family. Secondly, is the Austro-Asian language family with 1,257 languages. That's in Indonesia and the Pacific Islands. The third is the Trans-New Guinea language family, 482 languages, that's just in the Papua New Guinea area, one country. Then there is the Sino-Tibetan language family, consisting of around 455 languages, and that is the second largest language family by number of people, volume. Then there is the Indo-European language family, 
That's about 448 languages. And that covers large swaths of the planet. The Americas, South Africa, North and Central India, Europe, Russia, Iran. That is the largest by number of speakers language family on the planet. Then there's the Australian. That has around 381 languages. Afro-Asiatic has 377 languages that covers the Arab world and North Africa. Then you have the Nilo-Saharan, about 206 languages, North and Central Africa. Otto-Miguyan, 178 languages, Central America. Austro-Asiatic, 167 languages, Northeast India and Southeast Asia. Thai-Kadai, 91 languages, Southeast Asia and Southern China. Dravidian, 86 languages, Southern India. Tupian, that's in the parts of South America and 76 languages. Psycholinguistics, or the psychology of language, is the study of the interrelationship between language and your psychology. This is all about the mechanisms by which language is processed and represented in the brain. That is the psychological and neurobiological factors that enable humans to acquire, use, comprehend and produce language. Modern research in the space makes use of biology, neuroscience, cognitive science, linguistics and information science to study how mind-brain processes language. The four primary areas researchers focus on are language acquisition, language comprehension, language production, and second language acquisition. Language comprehension is about how do people comprehend language. Extensive research has shown that language comprehension is affected by context preceding a given utterance, as well as many other factors. Language production, however, is how do people produce language, describes all of the stages between having a concept to express and translating that concept into a linguistic form. Second language acquisition is how do people who already know one language acquire one other language? I want to change track now from science and biology to the philosophy of language, the thinking about language. The earliest thinking about language is found in the Vedas, which is the ancient Hindu-Indian philosophy. It is speculative, but later discussions involve sophisticated arguments among various schools of thought. These discussions, which concern speech units and associated meanings, share certain themes. Sounds, for example, once they're pronounced, disappear. These ancient Indian scholars operated with constructs in order to account for facts and behavior. This approach was evident already at an early period around the 7th century BCE when Vedic scholars argued constructed analyzed texts from which the Vedic texts were recited and given certain rules. Yaskar was an early Sanskrit grammarian around the 7th or the 5th century BCE, we're not sure, who is traditionally identified as the author of the work Nirkuta, the discipline of etymology, lexical category, and the semantics of Sanskrit words. 
the Nirkuta explains or attempts to explain how certain words get to have their meanings, especially in the context of interpreting those Vedic texts. It includes a system of rules for forming words from roots and affixes and a glossary of irregular words and form the basis of later lexicons and dictionaries. The Nirkuta was one of six compulsory ritual subjects in syllabus of Sanskrit scholarship in ancient India. Panini was a Sanskrit scholar of language, a grammarian and a scholar within ancient India. This chap is considered the world's first linguist. He's the author of the Astra Yadhi, a sutra-style treatise on Sanskrit grammar, which has around 4,000 verses on rules on linguistics, syntax, semantics in eight chapters, which is the foundational text for some of the documents that he was producing at the time. Another later Indian linguist, Patanjali, suggests that language is that a human expression that is produced by different speech organs of human beings. Through speech organs, humans produced several expressions which are converted to language. Patanjali is also considered one of the planet's first grammarians. He more so than Panini. It is believed Patanjali was alive around 140 BCE. Future linguists built on Panini and Patanjali. Indeed, Panini himself cites prior multiple linguists who he followed, leading him to believe that the study of language has always been important to humans. Language creates more than communication. It creates culture, history, and it is ultimately identity. Language is the cornerstone of everything we know. We can only learn from our ancestors because language was passed down, even if it wasn't. Ancient cuneiform tablets from Iraq or hieroglyphs from Egypt passed down human thought and activity over thousands of years. But it doesn't stop just there. Music, to me, is a language unto itself. You know that note that you see on paper that a conductor or musician plays? It's a language. I think we've had music, chanting and songs from the early points of human history. Prehistoric music can only be theorized based on findings from ancient archaeology sites. Flutes are often discovered, carved from bones in which lateral holes have been pierced. These are thought to have been blown at one end like the Japanese shatsuzuki. The earliest material and representational evidence of Egyptian music instruments dates to the pre-dynastic period, but the evidence is more securely attested in the Old Kingdom when harps, flutes and double clarinets were played. Indian classical music is one of the oldest musical traditions in the world. The ancient Indus Valley civilization has sculptures that show dance and old musical instruments like the seven-hold flute. Various types of stringed instruments and drums have also been recovered from Harappa by excavation. Then there is the Samveda. This is a Veda of melodies and chants. It is an ancient Vedic Sanskrit texts and part of the scriptures of ancient Hindu philosophy. The Samveda text, which by the way was around 1200 BC or 1000 BC, contains notated melodies and these are probably the world's oldest surviving ones. The musical notation is written usually immediately above and sometimes within the line of the Samveda text. This is either in syllabic or numerical form depending on the Samvedic school. The Indian scholar and musical theorist called Pingala, around 200 BCE, 
In his Chandra Sutra, used marks indicating long and short syllables to indicate meters in Sanskrit poetry. Although many ancient cultures used symbols to represent melodies and rhythms, none of them were particularly comprehensive, and this has limited today's understanding of their ancient music. The seeds of what would eventually become modern Western notation, that's what we see today, were sown in the medieval era in Europe, starting with the Catholic Church's goal for uniformity across its dominions. If we jump to the modern era and the Beatles, when they wrote their music, they composed their music. And musical composition refers to an original piece of work or music. They are a content creator. They write down the music, and that written music is the musical notation, and that is any system used to visually represent an orally perceived music through instruments or sung by the human voice. Beatles songs were unique to them, and they composed it. Music, it's a language. Then there is mathematics. Two plus two equals four. If you have two apples and you add another two, you get four apples. Crude and simple, yes, but also maths. I cannot imagine how humans would not have done this basic maths in prehistoric times. Maths today evolved over thousands of years. From about 3000 BC, the Mesopotamian states of Sumer, Akkad, and Assyria, followed closely by ancient Egypt and Elba, began using arithmetic algebra and geometry for purposes of guess what? Taxation, commerce, trade, and accounting. It was also used by these governments for patterns in nature, i.e. the field of astronomy, and to record time and formulate calendars. Maths evolved for a general human need to run a state and to identify the time and place that we're at. The earliest mathematical texts that are available are from ancient Mesopotamia and Egypt. Something called Plimpton 322 is a Babylonian clay tablet, notable as containing an example of Babylonian maths. The Rhind mathematical papyrus is one of the best known examples of ancient Egyptian mathematics. It dates to around 1550 BC, 1550 BC. The British Museum, where the majority of this papyrus is now kept, acquired it in 1865 along with the Egyptian mathematical leather roll. The first part of this document consists of references, tables, and a collection of 21 arithmetic and 20 algebraic problems. The problems start out with simple fractional expressions, followed by completion problems and more involved linear equations. The first part of this document is taken up by the 2n table, the fractions 2 over n for odd n ranging from 3 to 101 are expressed as sums of unit fractions. The second part of this document consists of geometry problems. And I can assure you, me in 2021, I probably don't understand any of it. I don't understand maths today. It's not a language I understand. But these guys were doing it back then. They also had a section on there measuring slopes on pyramids so they can build strong structures that could withstand the test of time. Thousands of years ago. Think about that. Maths was needed for architecture. Maths was needed 
to identify dates, time and space on a calendar, looking at astrology. Maths was needed to run a state. We needed maths. Later, Greek mathematics refined the methods, especially through the introduction of deductive reasoning and mathematical rigor and proofs, and expanded the subject matter of mathematics. Although they made no contributions to theoretical maths, the ancient Romans used applied maths in surveying, structural engineering, mechanical engineering, further bookkeeping, and creation of more lunar and solar calendars. Julius Caesar famously invented the Julian calendar. And even arts and crafts were used as part of mathematics. Chinese mathematics made early contributions, including a place-value system and the first use of negative numbers. The Indian numeral system and the rules for use of its operations in use throughout the world today, actually, this is what we're using, evolved over the course of the first millennium AD in India and were transmitted to the Western world via Muslim mathematicians through the work of Muhammad ibn Musa. Islamic mathematics in turn developed and expanded the mathematics from India and pushed it out to the Western civilizations. Then these Western mathematicians further developed and expanded the use of maths in science and beyond during the 1800s. They then, through empires, injected this Germanic Anglo-Saxon Western system back to the rest of the world. This maths started with prehistoric hunter-gatherers and ancient Indian, Egyptian and Mesopotamian peoples has evolved so much so that it helped Albert Einstein develop theories about the universe. It helped send Yuri Gagarin as the first person into space. It might help humans survive well into the future. Maths, like music, is a language. But there is one more. Computing language. People that code, they code in a language. These programming languages are used in computer programming to implement what we call algorithms. Since the early 1800s, yes, 1800s, programs have been used to direct the behavior of machines, such as looms, musical boxes, and player pianos. Thousands of different programming languages have been created over time, and more are being created every single year. Many programming languages are written in an imperative form, i.e. a sequence of operations to perform, while other languages use decorative form, i.e. desired results in specified, not how to achieve it. Augusta Arda King, Countess of Lovelace, born 1815, died 1852, was an English mathematician and writer chiefly known for her work on Charles Babbage's proposed mechanical general-purpose computer, the analytical engine, as it was called. She was the first to recognize that the machine had applications beyond pure calculation and to have published the first algorithm intended to be carried out by such a machine. As a result, she's often regarded as one of the first computer programmers, yes, in the early 1800s. Plan Kalul is a programming language designed for engineering purposes by German Konrad Zuse between 1942 and 1945, that was during World War II. It was the first high-level programming language to be designed for a computer. In the early 1950s, Alec Glenny developed Autocode, 
possibly the first compiled programming language at the University of Manchester in England. In 1954, a second iteration of the language, known as the Mark I autocode, was developed for the Mark I by Mr. R. A. Booker. In 1954, Fortran was invented at IBM by a team led by John Backus in the US. It was the first widely used high-level general-purpose programming language to have a functional implementation as opposed to just a design on paper. Among the computer languages in use today, Python was created in 1990, Visual Basic in 1991, R was in 1993, Java and JavaScript PHP in 1995. Is language what makes us? If you know more than one language, be it musical, computer, spoken, or maths, or even if it's something else, it makes your brain fire in different directions, doesn't it? And it opens your mind to whole new cultures and possibilities, surely? Language will evolve, but unlike the past 5,000 years of history, when the Sumerians and Akkadian regimes wanted to collect tax and count the cosmos, the next wave of hyper-integration of people and reduction of machine learning and artificial intelligence will mean that the next 5,000 years will be vastly different to the previous 5,000 years. I see computers creating their own language, one we might not be able to fathom. I see AI systems program themselves. I see the potential of quantum computing and this new language to allow us to create better societies, possibly solve more problems, and create medical cures and expand further into space. Of course, if the machines create themselves and then decide to destroy the humans, that would be a whole new problem, hopefully not in my lifetime. Innovative technologies might allow us to communicate even without the need for the spoken word. Maybe telepathically. I'm convinced that this ancient form of communication is what allows humans to rule and destroy as well as create amazing things on this planet. Language is what makes the species the most successful on this planet. If the zebras and chickens had this ability, we might have had some problems on our hands. It is in language that we think. Thank you for listening to the Alternative History Podcast. Please like rate, comment. Please follow this podcast. Please recommend this podcast. Thank you so much.